Do you ever um, put on one of these before you go to church? Pretend that everything's all right? Well, this series is about getting real, being honest with ourselves and, and with God. So it's time we take these masks off. And we're going to talk about lust and we're going to be painfully, brutally honest. And um, the subject matter is so important that if you allow lust to come into your life and, and to gain control of your life, it can explode your marriage, it can explode your family, it can even explode the job that you have. So we're going to look at, at this over the next five weeks, and, and we're going to ask you to be here and, and be a part of it. Now, part of this honesty, you had um, you had a, a just a white slip of paper in your in your chair. Here's what I want you to do with that. Real quick survey. Survey each week we're going to do some type of survey to give us a, a, a handle on on what's going on with folks that are out there. So you don't want anybody to see this. So you write a number down. You fold it up, and we've got buckets at the end of each row over here. Just pick up your bucket and we'll pass it down. Here's what I want you to do. Scale of 1 to 10. Scale of 1 to 10. How happy? Now, if you're married, how happy are you in your marriage? 1 to 10. 10 is, it can't get any better. 1 is, oh, dude, what happened? Now, if you're not married, if you're single, then I want you to put a number that represents your relationship with the opposite sex. How happy are you? With the opposite sex. Now, I think I understand where some of those numbers would be, but you go ahead. I want you to be honest. Write a number down, fold it up. The bucket comes down. We'll just set them down at the end. I think there's one right up there, Charlie, for that section. All right? And then we'll take off. Some of you are consulting one another. You know, you shouldn't have to do that. Um... But I know some, some men are out there going, honey, how happy am I with my marriage? We'll, we'll get into that when we do another marriage series before too long. Um, but we're going to talk about men and women and, and the differences. And um, <laughs> Oh, OK, here it comes. Oh, just pass the bucket, pass the bucket. That's easy. Then you don't have to worry about here it comes. Yeah, here it comes. Here it comes. All right. This is the first time we've done this, so uh, we'll know better next week how to do this. Now, men, this is the number one issue, I believe, that keeps us from experiencing the power of God in our lives. The presence of God in our lives is this deal right here. And, and so let's just define lust. Let's, let's get this out in the open. Let's define it and then we'll go from there. Lust is a God-given desire that's gone haywire. Now, that's not on your listening guide. If you want to write it down, that's, you know, that's not incredibly um, creative, but, but it gets the point across. Lust is a God-given de- desire that's gone haywire. It's when an, it's when an, um, an attraction transitions into an illicit sexual action, either mentally, emotionally, or physically. Now, I realize in a group this size, we got folks that are that are at different levels of lust. Some folks, I guarantee you right now while I'm talking, they are freaked out about being found out because they think, 
Oh, dear God, if anybody knew, if they knew what was behind this mask that I put on, they would recoil in horror. Let me just just dispel any thoughts you have of that. Not at this church. We started Celebrate Recovery for folks who have hurts in their background. And, and I lead the men's group and we go downstairs and we have some very real discussion that we won't talk about to anybody else. And I've never, when a guy has been honest down there in that group, I have never recoiled from him. When he takes off that mask, when he says, this is who I am, God has just put in my heart a, a desire to love that guy more. And I respect people who are honest enough to say, man, I got a problem here. Um, so folks are not going to recoil if you share your, your, your deepest, darkest secrets here. Some of you are recreational lusters. Think about that a minute. No big deal. Boys will be boys. I can look at the menu. I don't have to order. I'm just window shopping. You know, I'm not touching. As long as I'm not touching, I'm not hurting anything. You have a really deep discussion with your wife and see if every time you look at a beautiful woman, how that makes her feel. Um, <laughs> some guys go, I, you just don't understand. One of my best friends said, man, if a good looking woman walks in my zone, that is God's handiwork and I am going to admire his handiwork. I just want to smack him. Admire this dipstick. That's what I want to say, because I guarantee you his wife doesn't appreciate it. Maybe you're into the thinking man's pornography. Victoria's Secret catalog. Sports Illustrated swimsuit addiction. Uh, I mean addition. Yeah. I, I actually heard of a pastor's wife who, who did this. Her best friend, um, this is a big church in, in the woodlands, but um, her best friend's husband would, would get the Sports Illustrated magazine and so one time it came and they got it before he got home from work. And so they said, wouldn't it be funny if we take you out in the backyard, his wife, and we put you in all the poses and then we cut out the pictures and paste them in there. So they did. They cut out all of the images and put her in. There. I thought, that's a great idea. And what do you do if you're him and she's watching you open it? What do you go? Ah, no, you better not. You're going to have serious issues. She ought to stand there with a baseball bat. <laughs> you better react right, buddy. Now, a lot of people think that, that um, recreational lusting is benign, that it's not going to hurt anything. But the problem is, lust always has a destination. And that destination is sin. And um, so what we've got to do is, we've got to realize that lust never stands still. You, you can't stay at one place with lust. If you're into lusting, it's going to lead you further away from where you want to be and where God wants you to be. So as we start this, let me just say a couple of things. Um, number one, we're going to be open and honest about lust, but this is not my idea. I'm not bringing you Doug's opinion on it. I've studied the scriptures and I challenge you to open up your Bibles. That's why we print the, the listening guide so you'll have the scripture references and I want you to go and I dare you to look at the scripture and see if I'm telling you the truth or if I'm just making this stuff up. Because it's one thing if you reject my opinion. That's not a big deal at all. But if you reject God's opinion on this, then you're going to be in serious trouble before you even know it. So I dare you. I double dog. I triple dog. Whatever it takes to get you to do it. You know, like on Christmas story. I double dog dare you to stick your tongue to that pole. Whatever it takes, you, you go study the scriptures. 
Second, let me say that the theme of this series is hope. We want you to experience victory over lust and learn that you can walk in purity. No matter what level of lust you are at, God says with His power, the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, what we're going to look at next week, Easter Sunday morning, is the fact that the Bible promises resurrection power to folks who come to Christ and who obey what He says. And, and I know that there are some marriages here that need to be resurrected. There are some relationships here that need to be resurrected. And it will only happen with the power of God's Spirit working in you. And that only happens when you accept God's standards, not when you, when you dilute God's standards. We'll talk more about that next week. And third, I'm going to say this. I never in my wildest dreams anticipated the attacks of the enemy, of Satan, when I started preparing for this series. And this is going to be a hard series for you to attend. And I guarantee you, Satan does not want you to hear the way to victory. And so he's going to throw up right now. He is throwing up excuses for you not to be here next week. So I just want to ask you to pray for our church like you never have prayed before. I want to ask you to make a commitment to be here over the next five weeks and to bring somebody with you. Because this is something that touches all of our lives. Um, so with all of that, let's, let's get into four statements I want to give you today about lust. And that's all we're going to have time for today. First statement is, no one is immune to lust. No one is immune to lust. Lust is not just a guy thing. We've had discussions in our Sunday team meetings about things that, that women lust after. Women lust after sex sometimes. Women lust after other things. The perfect husband. We'll get to that in the fourth week of the series. So you've got to keep coming if you want to hear what, what all things. Guys, if you want to have a clue, you need to be here on the, the last Sunday. I think that's the 30th of, uh, of uh, April because we're going to talk about women. And uh, the things that, that they lust after. But have you noticed that men have a sex drive, women have a sex drive, and I don't know if anybody's clued in, those sex drives are usually different. Anybody, anybody figure that out? I know guys, I used to be in youth ministry for 19 years, and I know guys that thought, man, when I get married, my lust problems are over. Woohoo! I'll have sex anytime I want. Wrong. It does not work that way, and it will not take you long to figure that out. Lust is everywhere. Now, I want you to think about, is there any vocation that you can think of, any vocation that lust has not affected negatively? I just, I just you know, thought of some. Politics. We ever heard about lust in politics? Not just lust for power, but lust for interns. Never mind, we won't go there. Um, school teachers. We got women in their 30s having sex with boys that are 13. Oh, dear God, what has happened to us? Used to, you know, is the other one. Oh, my soul. We are some kind of messed up in our society. What about the medical profession? What about pastors? Ever heard of any pastors falling? Yeah, because lust is everywhere. I couldn't think of any vocation in the world that has not been affected negatively by lust. Not one positive. I've never read a headline that said, in politics, boy, lusting sure helped him get ahead. No. You don't gain the next position by lusting and cheating, what happens is you get these headlines that talk about you're immoral. You lose families. You lose marriages. You lose respect. And that's a big deal. Every time you deal with lust, it follows the same pattern. And we're going to teach you what that pattern is over the, series, uh, over the course of this series so that you can understand. The first thing that happens is the battle begins in the mind. See, we have two painters in our mind. And, and uh, one painter is the enemy. He's Satan. 
And he is painting images on the canvas of our mind, impure thoughts. And, and he wants you to remember, he wants to bring up those impure images at inopportune times. And so Satan is one painter. The other painter is the Holy Spirit. If you are a follower of Christ, the Bible says that, that the Holy Spirit invades your life when you say, I want you to be my, my forgiver of my sins and the leader of my life. Then you have this, this Holy Spirit who's trying to paint pure images in your mind. So you've got these, these warring painters going on. And the question becomes, who wins? And I'll tell you who wins. Whoever you're giving supplies to. Some of us are making it so easy for Satan. We're putting all kinds of images in our mind and Satan's going to paint them in detail so that when you least expect it, it's happened in church. You can have it happen when you're with your wife. These images come up in your mind because you're feeding them with the movies, with the music, with the with the material that you're looking at. You're just giving Satan all kinds of ammunition and he's loving it and piling it on. Others, though, have said, I want to be pure and you're giving the other painter, the Holy Spirit, pure things. And the purest thing I know of is the Word of God. Ephesians even talks about being washed with the water of the Word. And if you're not putting God's Word into your mind, if you're not spending time on a daily basis putting pure things in your mind, I can tell you who wins out when it comes to lust. Because you think about it, you know, in, in youth ministry, folks used to want me to fix their teenagers in one hour a week. And I'm thinking, the 167 other hours of the week, What's going on? They're being bombarded. Their families aren't teaching them right from wrong. They're not being taught the word of God. I can't fix someone in an hour a week. And God can't either. You tell me which one's going to win out if 167 hours you're putting garbage in as opposed to maybe one hour a week you're putting God's stuff in. It's no contest. And that's who's going to win. Well, um, let me let me illustrate it this way. You know, I've been kind of doing this diet thing and uh, my kids are Rachel's like, Daddy, when are you going to finish this diet? And I'm like, when I stay on it and I get where I want to be, you know, and trying to cut down on sugar and all this stuff. But let's say that one day I am driving down Crockett Road and, uh, you know, I just happened to smell that smell is wafting in my air conditioner and working on my truck. So, you know, I got the windows down and the smell of the donut palace wafts across my nostrils. It's got my attention. I got time. I want a chocolate eclair. So I whip in there and I go in and I get my chocolate eclair. I want a chocolate eclair. And I'm dreaming about this chocolate eclair. I can't wait for the burst of chocolate, the Bavarian cream to just hit my taste buds. I'm thinking about the chocolate eclair. But I feel guilty. I'm standing in line and I'm looking around. I'm seeing people, people that know I'm on a diet. And so I'm like, can I have that to go, please? Put it in a sack. So I put it in my sack and I go back and I get in my truck and I drive home. Well, while I'm driving home, just guilt consumes me. And so I get home. I go and I put my chocolate eclair in the fridge. I fall down on my knees and I cry out to God. Oh, God, forgive me for what I was about to do. Please, God, give me strength. Now, question. If I really didn't want to eat the chocolate eclair, why did I stick it in the fridge? Because I stuck it in the fridge so that whenever I feel less guilty and I'm walking by and my chocolate glare says, Doug. Every time I go and I open up my fridge and, and I get something to drink or I see some carrots down there, my chocolate glare says, I'm so much better. Now, if, if I really 
wanted to get rid of the temptation, I'm driving down the road, I throw it out. Or I give it to somebody else who doesn't need the temptation. And I say, here you go, have it. I'm not worried about Casey. Casey, you can handle it, man. You can handle it better than I can. So, go ahead, enjoy, man. I hadn't touched it. Go ahead. You know, I tempt my friend. That's what I do. Well, this is, this is how, um, how we do with lust. Bad donut, that's right. Catalog comes in the mail. And I may be really strong at that moment. Catalog comes out. I know there's swimsuits. I know there's panty ads, bra ads, whatever. I know that stuff's in there. And at that moment, I may have no intention of looking at that stuff. And so I start, I go, well, I'm not going to throw it away because my wife might want to order something. So what I do is I go and I put it in her chair. But the first time I get angry with my wife, first time it's been a long while since I've been satisfied sexually, and I begin to think, I deserve sex. Now, you women might think I'm crazy, but guys know exactly what I'm talking about. First thing that Satan brings into my mind is that magazine. If I really don't want that in my house, first thing I do is I rip it to shreds and throw it in the trash can before it ever enters my door. I was a young boy when I first saw pornography. And I've had some conversations with some other folks in this church. Very young. I was at a friend's house and his older brother was trying to help us out. And I wish those images had never entered my mind. Because there, there's some canvas that I have tried for years to wipe out. And the only thing I can do is I can begin to substitute positive things. God's Word. When those images start to pop up, then I have to think, no, my body is a temple of the Holy Spirit whom I have from God. And I've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in my body. When I am quoting Scripture, that image is no longer there. You see the idea? We've got to learn to do some things like that. It all begins in the mind. And I want to show you from 2 Samuel chapter 11. You've probably heard this story. You may not have had. But I want you to look at these first couple of verses about King David. David, you know, the one who killed the lion. David, who wrote most of the Psalms that we have in our Old Testament. David, uh, uh, the man after God's own heart. I want you to read with me what, what happened. In the spring, when kings normally went out to war, David set out, sent out Joab, his servants, and all the Israelites. very first thing you need to know is, in the spring, when kings go out to war, where's David? At the house. Where was he supposed to be? Where were kings normally when their armies went out to battle? They were in front of their army because if they claimed any territory. And in fact, if you read the Old Testament, you'll see a time here when Joab is about to take some territory and they generally named the city after the conquering king. But if the king wasn't there, the next in command, it was going to be named after him. So Joab sent a message back and he said, David, dude, we're about to take this city. And if you want, you know, the credit for it, get your tail out here. That's my translation of it. All respect, do king. Dear king, get your hiney to the battle. He's at home. Okay, now watch what happens. They destroyed the Ammonites and attacked the city of Rabbah. But David stayed in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of his palace. While he was on the roof, he saw a woman bathing. She was very beautiful. Now, while he was on his roof, he did what? He saw her. All right. 
Now, let's get this out in the open. If I see a beautiful woman, is that a sin? No. What becomes a sin is what I do with that. If in my mind I begin to dwell on her and I think impure thoughts about her, then I have sinned. But it starts in the mind. Satan just plants a seed and then he lets us, lets us take over. Now, what should David have done when he saw her? Man, go jogging. Run about 18 miles. And then, you know, the image might be gone. Do some jumping jacks. Go to war. <laughs> I mean, do anything but sit in an empty palace and think about a beautiful woman taking a bath. I shouldn't even say those words out loud in front of guys in church because you start to think of things. So let's say some scripture right now. Okay. But you understand, he's in this empty palace. He's, he's thinking about her and he is captured. Same idea of a fishing lure going out. And what are you doing with the fishing lure? You are trying to entice that fish to bite. And once the hook is set, I got the fish. And the hook was set, and Satan had David right where he wanted him. David, the man after God's own heart. David, the, the giant slayer, the lion killer, the bear killer, the man who wrote half the Psalms, thought about her and committed adultery with her. You know, we, we try to make things sound a lot more um, clean than they are. Because what do we say in, in America? Oh, they had an affair. God calls it sexual sin. He calls it adultery. And David committed adultery. And, and even though he eventually confessed, the results, the consequences of that sin never left him while he was on the face of the earth. Now, David, with the right set of circumstances, fell. And I just want to tell you up front, with the right set of circumstances, you will fall too. I try to build a hedge of protection, a fence around me when it comes to sexual things. Because I want, Janie and I are very open and honest, probably too much so because I've asked her if she would help me on the day that we talk about women. She goes, I don't know, I've got to think about that. Help me, help me teach that day. But we talk about stuff. We talk about physical urges. We talk about sexual fulfillment. And, and she said, Doug, I want to be the only woman who ever fulfills you sexually. And I'm like, yes! That's what I signed up for when we got married. You the one. And we just have this real open and honest discussion. But I know some friends that they're not like that. And sex is a weapon. And, and let me just, you know, this is free, ladies. If you use sex as a weapon, you're setting your husband up. I'm not saying that it's your fault. I'm just saying you are not helping the situation. We'll talk more about that in the coming weeks. Second statement. And I want you to realize that our sex drive is from God. Our sex drive was from God, and you should be hearing sex talks in church. <laughs> not from Planned Parenthood. Not from your health classes at school. You ought to be hearing sex talks at church. It was a good thing within boundaries. In the Garden of Eden, there was only one thing that was not good. And if you've ever heard me do a, a wedding ceremony, you hear me say this. The one thing that was not good was that man was alone. So God created Eve to combat um, Adam's aloneness. What, what um, Adam lacked, God completed in Eve. So men are looking for completeness. Men are looking for, for wholeness. And, and uh, God created us with that desire. And so we are looking for women to complete what we lack, to, to help us not be lonely anymore is one thing. Now, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. Hebrew is kind of a fascinating language. And, and if you were to do a word study you would find out that the, the word for man, the pronunciation in Hebrew is ish. 
So, ish, man. You pronounce the, the word for woman, ah. Now, I want you to think about this. Janie and I were, were just kind of getting tickled last night because we were, we were picturing this whole scene. I was, I was kind of sharing with her this part of the message. What do you think Adam was thinking? All right, now, you've got to have, have the scene. God's created everything. And at one point it says that, that God brings all of the animals before Adam. And whatever Adam names that animal, that's what it was called. So Adam's hanging out there. He's the only human. Eve hadn't been created yet. So, you know, God brings this animal. Elephant. Brings this animal. Chicken. Dove. Tiger. Lion. So he spends the better part of his day naming the animals. And then the Bible says no suitable helper was found for him. I think God did it on purpose. So he's, he's, he's saying, you know, none of these match you. So then the Bible says that, that God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam. He lays him down. He takes a rib out of the side of Adam and he creates Eve. Adam wakes up. He's been looking at animals all day. Adam wakes up and the perfect ten woman is looking at him and she's naked. Now, Adam may have said, Ish, you're like me. But then upon closer inspection, ah, you're different. And I think I like it. Our sex drive was created by God and it is good within boundaries. You know what God told them to do? Go enjoy each other. Be fruitful and multiply. That's like the King James Version for have sexual satisfaction between one another and have children and the Bible says they were naked and they were not ashamed. Now, again, there's a lot of the stuff I'm going to repeat, but shame happens when you take a God-given desire and you use it in a God-forbidden way. But in my marriage, sex has brought Janie and I intimacy. There is no shame. And it has brought our relationship closer together. You follow God's plan, it brings you closeness. You Go against God's plan. There is isolation. There is guilt. There is loneliness. See, God had a plan and God was good giving us sex. Now, <laughs> sex is a good thing within boundaries. My desire for water is a good thing. Would you say that water is a good thing? Yeah, I thirst. I have this desire. It's God-given desire. But too much of a good thing can kill me. I read about in Austin, a, a student a few years ago. Instead of doing the beer hazing thing, they decided to get a five-gallon jug of water and make him chug it. He died. That much water is too much. My desire for food. I love food. But if I get carried away with food, my good desire turned bad can eventually lead to my death. Well, the same thing happens with sex. Sex comes from God and it's good within boundaries. Now, have you ever seen um, this happened a lot more in the old days before we had all of the old uh, before we had brick houses so prevalent. But have you ever noticed you're driving through the countryside and, and Janie's family's from the country. So we drove a lot and you go to my parents house. It's 500 miles from here. So you got a lot of country between here and there. And you'll be driving along and you see over on the side of the road, you see a house that's burned to the ground. You have pictures of houses. Let's just look at these. All right. What what do you see that's still remaining here in this house? Chimney. Any others? Okay. 
You got this chimney that's remaining here. Now, I have this chimney over here. Next week we'll have a light on it so you can see it. It's black and everything up here is black. But this is one of those backyard chimneys. So this is kind of going to be our, our focal point for this series. Is fire good? Sure. What, what are the benefits of fire? Warmth. All right. If you were outside, fire protects you maybe from wild animals, protects you from the cold. Fire produces light. Fire, um, what else? You can cook with fire. It is great. As long as it's in the fireplace. But what happens? You have, have you ever had that happen? A spark comes flying out the fireplace? At my brother's house one time and the log rolls up against the glass. I was asleep on the couch. Kaboom! <laughs> glass goes flying everywhere. We came flying out of the bed. My brother's upstairs and he comes flying down. I mean, there's stuff everywhere. We're worried that this fire is going to burn the house down. He had a wooden house. <laughs> it was a redwood siding. How quick would that go up? It's dangerous when it comes out. Well, the, the application's obvious. God created sex for inside a marriage. And if you take a God-given desire and you use it in a God-forbidden way, devastation happens. Just like the houses you see that are burned down. You take it and you put it in where it's designed. The chimney's still there because it was designed for fire. Marriages are strengthened through sex with each other. God designed sex. One man, one woman for a lifetime. Anything outside of that. I'm not supposed to do anything outside of that. So we apply God's Word. It will protect us and provide a good future for us. Now, the question, though, that I've been hearing since I started ministry 21 years ago, especially with teenagers, how far can I go and it not be sin? How far can I stick my hand in the fireplace and not get burned? That's what we're asking. I mean, let's just get honest here. The Bible says if you take hot coals into your laps, talking about an adulteress in Proverbs, you, you, should, you, you take hot coals and you, you put those in your lap, what's going to happen to you? Ow. And the Bible says there are consequences to doing things against God's Word. So the, that's the wrong question. You ask the wrong question, you'll get the wrong answer every time. The right question is, what will make me look more like Jesus Christ? Oh, my goodness, that's a standard that we haven't looked at very often. But every time I do something that protects my family. Sexually, spiritually, emotionally, physically. I go up in my wife's estimation. And my marriage is strengthened. Now, some of you have been burned. And I just want to tell you this real quickly. I want you to look at, at this next verse, Joel 225. I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten. There's your promise from God. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Let me explain what that means. Locusts, eaten, whatever. The context is this. The children of Israel have, have suffered a huge famine on their land. And the reason is, hordes of locusts, so thick that it looked like black clouds descending upon their land. They came and they ate every green leaf around. And there is nothing left. The crops were completely destroyed. 
And God says, the reason that happened is because you rebelled against me. You openly sinned, rebelled against what I told you to do. But now God is telling them, all right, you do what I tell you to do. You repent, you turn from your sin. And I will repay you for all those years you lost because of the locusts. Now, God's not saying that he's going to magically turn back the clock and give you those years back. But those of you who have been burned, God says, if you will walk in purity today from now on, there will be all kinds of rich blessings I will bring into your life that you will never experience if you disobey me. So God says, here's the choice. Obey, experience blessing. Disobey, keep going further and further away from me and experiencing the pain and loss that you've had over and over multiplied in your life. To me, that doesn't seem like a very hard choice at all. So the hope is God will restore you if you'll obey him. Now, Satan's strategy is always the same. He has this destination in mind and the destination is sin. And, and I want to show you the devil's LSD. Do you know the devil had an LSD? He does. It's in James 1, 13 through 15. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Circle that word lust. There's the L in the LSD. Your own lust, which is a God-given desire gone haywire. Then when, he, when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. Circle the word sin. There's your S. That's the destination that Satan wants you to get to. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Circle that word. There's the D. LSD. Lust, sin, and death. Satan takes what is good and he perverts it. Sex is good, but Satan wants to pervert it. Why? Because his ultimate goal is to pervert you. Now, Satan's not stupid enough to come to you and go, Yo-ho, I'm going to destroy your life. Whoa, right here. He's not that stupid because we're not that stupid. So what he does is he disguises something good. He disguises the perverse intentions as something good, and then he leads us astray. And really, all he does, according to these verses, is he plants that seed in your mind, and then he walks away and lets that seed grow. And as long as you're not substituting something else in there, that seed will grow, and he knows he's got you. And he's going to watch you go. Jesus said that his, his goal is to destroy you, and Satan gains pleasure from watching your life fall apart, especially sexually. We've got to learn to substitute the pure stuff. All right, here's, here's one more illustration. Your mind, when you're born, is like this. Uh, that's what I figured. I didn't take this off. When you're first born, your mind is pure. That'll sound nice on the recording. Your mind is pure like this white paint. All right, is there any doubt that the babies we have down in the nursery, that they're pure, that their mind... They don't know about sin. Now, they learn very quickly. <laughs> you don't have to teach kids wrong. You have to teach them right. So when you are first born, you've got this really pure mind. What Satan wants to do is he wants to take the things of this world, detestable images represented by this black paint, and he just wants to drop a little bit in there. Nothing big, just a little bit. Now, if I mix that up, I'm still mostly pure, right? How much of this black junk... From the world does it take before my mind starts looking dark and sinister and I start thinking things that are dark and sinister. I just keep supplying that stuff in there. And before long, my mind is completely black. And that's how my mind was when I came to Christ. 
because of all the junk I'd put in there. And see, this, just a little word to the wise. You cannot clean yourself up enough to become pleasable in God's sight. A lot of people think that. They say, oh, well, you know, I've got to quit this and I've got to quit this and I've got to get this habit before I come to Christ. The Bible says that's not the way it goes. The Bible says you come to Christ as you are. He accepts you as you are. And you allow Him, His power to begin working inside you. And He begins to clean you up little by little. Now, fortunately or unfortunately, I don't know. You can, you can make up your own mind. I don't have a delete button in my mind. I wish I did. I wish I could erase some of that junk from my past. Some of those things God leaves there so I will remember the pain and say, I do not want to go there again. But I wish I could get rid of some of the junk there. But the only thing I can do is I can put God's word in my mind. And little by little, my mind is beginning to be more and more purified as I'm washed through the water of the word of God. That's the only option that we have. Now, the last well, two more points real quickly. Number three is we can't do this stuff alone. We can't do this stuff alone. You got to hear this. If you don't hear anything else, hear this today. Most of the power of lust is in its secrecy. Do you know that? Satan wants to keep things in the dark. When you drag lust kicking and screaming out into the light, the power is drained out of it. And again, nobody here is going to recoil in horror when you share what's going on. Actually, if you're honest enough and you share, you might be surprised at how many other people say, that's exactly how I feel. And they didn't have the courage to talk about it. The last thing is, ignorance will destroy you. Most of us don't know when we're most vulnerable and why we're most vulnerable. We want to try to teach you that. Our enemy knows those things and he doesn't play fair. Jesus said in Matthew ten sixteen, be as wise as snakes and as innocent as doves. Here's what that means. Satan is, is called a crafty one. It says the schemes of the devil. Schemes has the idea of, of military um, strategy. And Satan has a military strategy to destroy you. We've got to learn that strategy and figure out God's strategy to protect us. Here's some things that we need to know. We need to know the trigger points that, that uh, bring us to lust, that allow lust into our eyes, our minds, and our hearts. We need to know the trigger points geographically. You ever driven by someplace? Maybe you have been involved in something there. I can go back home to, to Borger, Texas and drive by places and hear songs. And I remember the girls that I was going out with at that time. And, you know, there's geographically, there's some places that you probably go by that it reminds you of some things you don't need to be thinking about. Quit driving that way. I used to drive home uh, to my house in Arlington and had to go right by all of these triple uh, X places. And I hated that. And I told Janie, it felt like driving into a dark cloud. And I used to pray against those places, pray for the guys that I would see going in there. It didn't matter what time of day. I'm talking, I went to seminary during the morning. I'd come back around noon and there are guys parked there going in on their lunch hour. And I just, I felt dirty driving by there. I was on the highway, I-20. These suckers were right down here, the, the buildings. And the guys are walking in and I prayed for those guys. What are the... Um, Trigger points relationally. What person at the gym? What, uh, what person where you work? What friends do you not need to be around because they spark your interest sexually? Mentally, who are you giving supplies to? What are you putting in your mind that you need to get rid of? 
technologically. TV, Internet. Let me tell you something. One of the best things. We had this discussion in our Sunday team meeting. One of the best things I ever did was I put this free software on my uh, computer called X3. And it's put out by Triple X Church. Now, before you recoil in horror there, Triple X Church is Christians who are trying to reach out to people who are addicted to pornography. And this free software, what it does is it lists all of the questionable sites. Now, that's kind of funny because sometimes the questionable site can be ESPN.go, you know, dot com. But it lists these sites. And every two weeks, all of these sites that I've been to go to Alex. Alex has it on his computer. He's got one um, copy comes to me and one goes to his wife. <laughs> now, you think that that won't give you a little bit of accountability if you have something like that on your website? I mean, on your Internet? Because I'm not going to go somewhere. I'm not going to have Alex, the guy that's back there doing all of this stuff, come up to me and go, dude, what is wrong with you? That is a huge help. I think Donald put it on his computer as well. It's free. Now, if you have some other issues and, and you know, you need something more than that, there's, there's some more uh, software that I can tell you about. It will actually take a snapshot of all of the websites that you've gone to and it will copy every email that, that you have. A lot of businesses are using this because employees are doing immoral stuff on the computer. And you can put it on a computer and no one will ever know it's there. My best friend from back home struggles with pornography. His son, who's in high school, struggles with pornography. They put it on their, their um, computer. And she's the, the wife is the only one who has the, the password. So my best friend can't even get around the software on his own computer. He knows every day she's going to look at the same images at the end of the day that he has because he needs help. He needs accountability so that he doesn't give in to this garbage. Now, the last thing we need to know is the consequences. We've got to know the consequences of lust. I just don't want to look at my children and say, I chose lust over you. I don't want to look at my children and say, we had to leave New Life Community Church because Daddy was involved in lust and pornography. I don't want to do that. Satan doesn't want you to think about the consequences. He wants you to focus on the immediate. Because then he's got his hook in you and he pulls you away. Now, I want you to take your registration cards real quickly. Fill those.